0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, well this morning uh, we're we're going to spend quite a bit of time over in Psalm 51 uh, in a few minutes. I've got a few other. I want to lay some foundation for this. Uh, and so we are going to hit a few other scriptures ahead of that, but that's the main piece that we're going to dig into this morning is Psalm 51. So I'll tell you what that is, and then, then I want to lay some foundation. Our, our subject this morning is the beauty of repentance, okay? The beauty of repentance. So we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, sin and repentance, all right? And uh, so um, Psalm 51, when we get there, is a, it's a song that David wrote. When at a time in his life where he had—and you got most of you know the story—he he, he uh, took Bathsheba, who was somebody else's wife, took her into his home, slept with her um, while her husband was at war for David one of his best friends, one of his commanders, one of his leaders, he took this man's wife and slept with her. So he committed adultery, first of all, and committed adultery in a really terrible way, you know, for for one of his, with one of his good friend's wife. So betrayed his friend. There's a lot that goes into that, if you just think about it. So he tried to cover that up and he wasn't real successful in covering, covering that up. So he eventually set it up where this man would be killed. And so he murdered the husband of the woman he was committing adultery with. Most of us, when we start discussing sin, we might not have anything quite that grievous to bring out, uh, but actually sin's even on, on God's scale. But we think about that, and then, and then, so it's David, and David's a pretty important character, you know, uh, and, and he had a really great understanding, which is what amazes me as we get into that psalm, is his understanding of the nature of God. And his really pulling on a covenant that he didn't have yet, that we do, pulling on the new covenant into his time. But God sent a prophet to him to bust him about all of this. And and so he did that. And so David repents of all of that before God. And that's what Psalm 91 is. It's a, it's a song that he wrote about his repentance. We're not going to be able to go through every verse in it. Uh, but we're going to go through quite a number of them. There are just a tremendous number of great truths there that apply to us also when we move into repentance. So I want to begin, though, um, just with some some information here about it. Repentance, and I'll I'll just give you these things so that everybody understands, because I had a real mistaken idea of repentance as I was growing up. I thought it was just feeling bad about what I did and trying to fix it myself. I mean, it was a completely... Uh, perverted idea of what repentance really is. But what repentance, the word repentance in the New Testament, it means to change your mind. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's essentially that we change our thinking and because our thinking has changed, our behavior changes. All right, so there is a change of behavior, but but it's not just trying to do the right thing while you still think it's okay to do this thing, or you're not really sure that this is really that bad a thing. It's a change Of mind. It's a commitment to change our thinking to agree with God's thinking. That's what repentance is. It's we make a commitment in our heart. This is a a decision. Repentance is a decision more than it's a feeling. Okay? Feelings tend to follow our decisions. All right? Our decisions aren't supposed to follow our feelings. So it's a decision to agree with God. If we find out that God says something is sin, Then, or that there's a, even if it, I kind of want to, we're going to talk, you know, in the context of sin today, but repentance is valuable for a lot more than sin. It's any time that we find out that our habits, our way of thinking, our believing, the way that we've been brought up to do whatever, it may not be overtly sinful, but we find out, oh, that's not the way Jesus did it. That's not the way God did it. That's not what his word says uh, to approach life in that way. Well, we want to change our mind and agree with what God says because in what God says in his way, there's life, right? So it's really a gift from God. When we think about it, he didn't have to make this available. And when we think about it, we've already been forgiven, Jesus has taken all sin for all time upon himself but repentance gives us this opportunity to reappropriate the forgiveness that's already ours. We aren't getting God to do something new, we're taking hold of, we're changing our hearts, changing our minds, making a decision to go a different direction. We're doing, you know, we're doing a 180 degree turn. We've been going this way, we're turning back to God. That's what repentance is. And in that there's grace that follows that decision there's an ability. Remember, grace is not just undeserved favor. It is also the ability of God, the power of God to do what we couldn't do on our own and in ourselves. And so when we make the decision to repent, we make the decision to agree with God, there's grace that follows that. So repentance really accesses grace in this sense. And it draws upon an ability from God to live differently. All right, so, so it's, really, it's really a gift. And I mean, it can be the simplest thing. It can be, you know, me realizing that anytime I take something that doesn't belong to me, that's theft. Even if I think I deserve it, or think I should have it, or think my employer has too many of them, uh, when I take it and it doesn't belong to me and I don't have permission to take it, that's theft. Okay? Well, a lot of people honestly don't grow up with that idea. They don't grow up with a certain idea of honesty that we should we should keep our word even to our own hurt. Even when it makes trouble for us, it's not okay to lie about it. And it's not the best road to take to lie about it, to try and have secrets, to try and keep things covered. It's not the best way to do it. And you and when we close those doors when we live in in some way that is opposed to the word of God, we really close the door in the grace. Um, that comes with it to, um, you know, to live in a different way. Okay, so so that's basically, I mean, short term, that's what that's what repentance is. Um, and then I, I want us to understand that we do need to be people that accept the severity of sin. That sin's a big deal, you know. That uh, the a big part of the reason we have the Old Testament in the, the terms that it's in, the Old Covenant, what we see there is the severity of sin. People say, oh, there was so much judgment in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's because of the severity of sin without the opportunity for grace. There was because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. That sin had not been paid for. So what you see is sin and judgment, you know? And, and so sin, and so we see things in the Old Testament we're like, oh, that's just, that's just horrible. That just offends. Well, the, even the New Testament says the wages of sin is death. Okay? The wages of, and it doesn't mean God's going to come and kill you. Okay? It, um, Vincent's word studies in the New Testament defines that word death in that kind of context. The wages of sin is death. Or Romans 5.12 tells us sin entered the world through one man, through Adam and and through the sin then death entered the world and then that was passed on to all people were all born into this sin condition in the earth. Um, that word death means all the miseries arising from sin both here and hereafter. So it's it's the spiritual impact of sin. It's also the negative impact here in the earth of sin. So it's a big deal and we need to recognize that it is a big deal. We need to get that. And yet, and the reason I'm telling you all this is because we're going to be talking about David and his sin and our sin. All right, we want to be people who recognize the severity of sin, but we do not, are you listening to me? We do not want to become people who are what we call sin conscious or have a sin identity. We do not want to be people who live under the idea that, I'm just a sinner. There's nothing that can be done about that. Thank goodness for Jesus. And because I've accepted him, I'm going to heaven. But I'm just a sinner. I'm unworthy because of sin. I am, this is my identity. I continue, after I gave my life to Jesus, to inherently, in the core of my being, have a sin nature. Okay, That's not true. And yet, I think probably a majority of Christians believe that about themselves. We want to develop a righteousness identity. We want to understand that the scripture says that he, Jesus, who had no sin of his own, it says, became or was made to be sin for us so that we might become, get those terms, made to be sin. He didn't just have a handshake association with our sin. He didn't just take it in his hands and hold it out here and do something with it, put it under his blood. He became all of our sin as our substitute, so that we might become another identity word, the righteousness of God in him. That is a huge truth. And righteousness means right relationship, clean relationship. So the the point there is, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, even when you sin and we all do, even before you get to the point of repentance, who you are doesn't change. What you did is not who you are. Who you are is who Jesus made you to be. What does that do? Well, that lets me come to God without trying to fix the whole thing first and then come with my good works and see, say, see God, I made it better, so you should accept me now. No, you're accepted just, just like David was. On the worst day of your life, the most corrupt, awful thing you could do, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life, doesn't mean it's okay it means you are accepted with God because it's based on the work of Christ. Everybody understand that? Your acceptance with God is based on the work of Christ. And when you sin, it doesn't make Jesus sin. All right, so you can come and receive the gift of repentance and reappropriate the forgiveness that's already yours and the grace that goes with it to live a different life. All right, I hope that's clear because I could take all morning on it, but I can't take all morning because we have to get to communion, okay? Okay. Huge point. So when we think about sin and talk about sin, know that it's important. It's a big deal, but it's not your nature. As long as you think it's your nature, you're going to be a slave to it. Just just like as long as you think it's your nature uh, to be addicted to drugs, you're going to be addicted to drugs. That's why the identity thing. And I know some of you disagree with me on this point. The identity issue in twelve step programs bothers me. I know that the 12-step programs help people. I get it. I know that. But there's an identity issue of standing up forever as a Christian and saying, I am an alcoholic. I am a narcotics addict. I am addicted to porn. Whatever it is, I am. This is who I am. I can't be changed. This is who I am. And I have to accept this fact. Not true for Christians. And as long as you think that, you, you may manage it with your friends in the group, and that's better than not managing it, but you won't really get free from it because it's an identity issue. All right, so whenever we talk about sin, I want to make it clear, don't develop a sin consciousness where, where it says he became sin and we became his righteousness. It's the Greek word, ginomai, which means to enter into a completely new state or existence or condition of being, to become something totally new, not to simply have a relationship with a new thing, but to become that thing. All right. So let's leave that there because there's a lot more we could say about it, but we need to move on. So let's go, if, if you will, to uh, Psalm 51. I'm going to bounce back and forth a little bit between the Amplified Bible and we're going to read a lot out of the Passion Translation today. But we're going to read uh, a number of verses, not every one of them. Uh, Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2, David writes, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the multitude of your tender mercy and loving kindness, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly and repeatedly from my iniquity and guilt and cleanse me and make me wholly pure from my sin. So David asks here something that... Uh, he asks all of this based not on Levitical sacrifice, not on the blood of sacrifice, which was appropriate. I mean, that was appropriate under the old covenant. David doesn't base his request on that, which is really unusual for somebody under the old covenant. He bases his request on what he knows about the character of God. He knows God is merciful. He knows God is loving. He knows, he, he has this sense, which is amazing for somebody under the old covenant. He has this sense of his position before God, which honestly, it's, David was a type, of course, in, in some of his life of Jesus. And, and he really, there's, there, throughout the scripture, there are these places where uh, people basically reach by faith into the next covenant level and and appropriate something that honestly wasn't theirs yet, but they see it in God who has never changed and they reach in and take it. Really, that's that's kind of what we do when we, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we expect that to be done today, not just in the millennium, not just in the new heaven and the new earth, which is a, a future season, right? But we reach into that season by the name of Jesus under his command. We reach into that season and we pull it into this earth. We pull it into this time. That's what David is doing here. And he, he expects, he uses this term for cleansing or blotting out that means to wipe completely free so that there's no trace that can be found or referred to later. For his sin, nothing that can be found, nothing that can be looked back on, nothing that can be brought up later. Well, that's the kind of forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. And he reaches out for that. This is a New Testament idea of cleansing from sin that you can find uh, in Colossians 2.14 for one place. But he expects to receive this cleansing so completely that not only the penalty of sin is removed, but his guilt is removed with it that he's going to be able to come with clean hands before God. That's a New Testament concept. We should never be people who, we should be people, let me put it this way, we should be people who absolutely reject condemnation because condemnation is never from the Lord. The Bible tells us that. There is therefore no now, now in this covenant no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation means to declare unfit for use right? Shame will tell you you're unfit for use. You're unworthy. You know, God will reject you. He'll tell you that kind of thing. That, David is actually asking for that kind of cleansing that, that is not only the penalty, but his guilt would be removed. So we should be people who reject condemnation, but welcome conviction and correction from a loving God. Okay? Conviction is just telling you what you did was wrong. We need to change it. We need to fix it. It's an invitation to repentance. Does this make sense to you so far? All right. Verses three and four, Amplified Bible again. It says, for I am conscious of my transgressions and I acknowledge them. My sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and faultless in your judgment. So three things there. David, first of all, fully acknowledges his sin. No excuses, no justification, no coming and yeah, but, and, but this person did this. That's why I did it. None of that. He says, I'm, I'm fully conscious of my transgressions and I acknowledge them. Okay. And then he, and then he says, God, it's really, it's against you I've sinned. It's a huge idea because so often we think we just did, you know, we just violated something on this level. We can just make it right on this level. We need to always, rec- or or we try and cover things and hide them and keep a secret because if nobody finds out, it's like, no, you You primarily, our sin is against God first. All right. So secrets don't work. Okay. They don't work between you and God. They don't change what's happened between you and God and they always get exposed anyway. It's a different study. But, but at any rate, um, trying to keep secrets is just not good. So he says against you have sinned. And then he, he says it to God. He says, you are justified in your judgment. That means you are justified in your decision about what is sin and what isn't. Okay. It's, it's a word that means to sort things out. And he's saying, God, what you say is sin is sin. And I acknowledge it. So that kind of eliminates a lot that's going on in our society of, well, it's just what I feel. If I think it's sin, it's sin I don't feel bad about it, then it's not sin. No, it's what God says. He's justified in his judgment and a part of repentance is accepting that. All right, accepting that. Make sense? Excellent. Um, so Psalm 51 verse 6 And this is from the Passion Translation. So much of the Passion Translation in this psalm is so good. He says, I know, I love this. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. The Hebrew here, the the original language says, you want to, you God want to light my darkness or you want your truth to expose my secrets. So he's saying, God, I know you delight to set your truth in my heart. And he's opening himself to that. He's in this place of repentance. He's saying, God, give me your word. Show me what's really true. He's breaking self-deception. He's breaking, a lot of times we've been justifying what we're doing. We've been, well, you know, I mean, he had to have somehow justified what he did in his own mind, whether it was because I'm the king and I can do what I want. I don't know, but, but we all do it. And instead he's coming, and saying, you know what? I need you to show me. And I, I need your word to come into my heart. I need, I trust that, you know, you're not there to just condemn me. I am accepting your correction and I need to see it clearly. I do not want self-justification, self-deception to rule my life. So it's a part of repentance is to come and, and to really let God examine our hearts and show us what is true and accept what he shows us. All right, verses 10 and 12. David says, Create a new clean heart within me. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take from me your sacred spirit. Let my passion, I love this, let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring me hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. When he says create in me a clean heart, I think I brought this to you on another subject a few weeks ago. It's, it's a word that comes right out of Genesis. It means to create something from nothing. All right. And, and so he's not just asking for God, mask my heart, make me feel better. He's asking again for a New Testament idea. We have been made the righteousness of God. We are brand new creatures in Christ Jesus, right? Second Corinthians chapter 5. We are brand new creations in him. We have a new heart, a new spirit within us. All right. And that's what David is asking for. Create in me a brand new heart that is willing to do and desires to do what you want me to do. Give me a heart that desires. And he says, may you never reject me. Well, that's not even a possibility in our covenant. Jesus said, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. All right. Again, because our acceptance is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Let my passion for life be restored. There's nothing that'll destroy your passion for life, like living against God, fighting against what where, you know, God doesn't go away. One of the problems with God, <laughs> one of the problems with God is He doesn't leave us alone when we decide we're going to reject something that he says, he loves us way too much. And he keeps tugging on our hearts and bringing us revelation and, and ministering to us and sending these annoying people across uh, you know, our path to love us with the love of God and to draw us back to himself. And, and it'll just crush your passion for life to, to give yourself over to sin or, or, or any... Path that's off of what the Lord says. It'll just you know. So He says, "Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring me." To me, this is coming back to innocence, coming back to to being excited about the things of God, and to a place of innocence in Him. You know, and and just wow, God, that's that's really cool. Look at that. Look at what you did today. Look at what you're doing. Whether again, whether it's a sunrise, or whether it's a breakthrough in your heart and something in life, that excitement about God is so, so important. Verse 13, he says, then when all this happens, when, that, when that's restored in me, I have a clean heart. I'm excited about the things of God. Then I can show to the other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. So it's not going out, Saying, oh well, God forgave me, you're still doing this or that. It's it's in this this joy and this effervescent life, you know, they can He can go and show to the other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. What a great witness. And they will find their way back home to you, knowing that you will forgive them. It's the kindness, right, of God that leads us to repentance. It's not It's not expectation of judgment, expectation of being crushed. Uh, It's his kindness. And that works for your friends and my friends too. Verse 18, David says, Because you favor Zion, do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around Jerusalem. Okay, because you favor Zion. Zion is the city of David. It was his city, he was responsible for it. These were his people. He'd been put in a position. So what this is for us is a recognition that our sin costs those around us. And this is probably one of the, to me as a pastor, as a person, as a pastor, one of the things that breaks my heart to see is when people choose sin, how Devastating and destructive it is to their family, to their kids, to their parents, to, you know, to the church. You know, some people walk away from God. It's their it's their decision, but still they walk away from God because of the sin in a believer's life, or the sin in a pastor's life, or whatever. I don't care if it's the greatest leader you've ever been around, and you just think the world of them, that is still a human being. And if they fall. There's no reason for you to fall, okay? But this whole concept of we need to think about this. When, when we're tempted, when we're moving into something, how much is my sin going to cost the people I love? And that's what David is praying. Because you love those that you've given me charge over, those that I influence, because you love them, forgive me. He's recognizing how important that is and how his forgiveness will bless the whole city, and his sin could destroy the whole city it's it's a It's a big idea, but we 've got to realize our life affects the people around us. it isn 't just about us, it never is it never was it never will be and it 's one of the most selfish parts of sin in our lives, or just again i, I you know we've got to talk about this in the context of sin. But this repentance isn't just about sin. There are just ways that we have that are contrary to the way God would do things that we wouldn't necessarily put in the category of sin. I mean, basically, the scripture says anything that's not of faith is sin, you know. Uh, So, But we usually think of sin in a certain context. There are things in our life that the Lord will address that we need to repent over that are not necessarily in that little context. But all of those things all of your life affects other people. We are not here just to be responsible for ourselves. And again, we live in an incredibly self-centered culture. So we really need to be able to break out of some of that, and rise above that and realize, yeah, sometimes I have to sacrifice some things in my life for the good of other people because I love them and because I love the Lord and it's the right thing to do. Think about, you know, is, is there anything in the Bible about laying down your life for people that you love, you know, pretty big, pretty central concept, right? All right. Hope you got something out of that. I want to go from that into um, communion this morning. And I do want to read to you again from the Passion Translation, uh, these verses in, and again, I think these are very misunderstood, but these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul talks to the Corinthian church about communion. And uh, he's correcting them because they were just basically having a party at communion. They were coming, they were eating, they they were just eating on their own schedule and just kind of partying. They were drinking as much as they wanted. It was just a big party. And he's coming back and saying, that's irreverent and that's not recognizing this meal. This is a special meal. This is a special table where we are to remember the body and the blood of Christ. And so so the whole point of this is to come back and remember the fullness of what Jesus did for us and what belongs to us. So it is a good place to repent. if If you come into a time of worship and the Lord convicts you of something you've said or done or an attitude or whatever, repent. Great time to repent. If you're hearing the word and the Lord convicts you, repent. If you're in your own time and the Lord convicts you, repent. If you're riding your mountain bike down the trail and the Lord convicts you, repent, okay? But the communion table is another time where we're in the presence of God. We're focused on what he's doing. But, but so if there's something we need to repent of, repent. But the focus is not on our sins the focus of the table is on him and his provision for our sin. And the focus of the table is actually on our righteousness, on our connection with him, on the fact that we are welcome at his table. And that because of his body and because of his blood, we're healed, we're free, we're forgiven, and we have this relationship with the Lord. And we are empowered to live a life we could never live on our own. So when we come to these verses, Paul He says, uh, this is beginning, I think, in about verse 23 or so. He says, that same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and he gave thanks and he distributed it to his disciples and said, take and eat your fill. This is my body. That really means be satisfied. Take it, eat it, and and get satisfaction. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. So, So the focus isn't on us, it's on him. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper, and he said, This is the cup that seals the new covenant with my blood, drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you are retelling the story and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Now get this for this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a wrong spirit, will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. In the Greek there, what it means is in an irreverent manner. In other words, you just come together and we just do communion real quick, or you come together and uh, these people over here are eating, and these people over here are drinking. There was irreverence is what he was addressing here. Okay, not unworthiness, irreverence about how they were approaching the meal. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude. All right. The, the more traditional translations say, "Let each person examine himself." All right, but it's, it he says, "Let each individual first evaluate his own attitude, and only then eat the bread and the cup." For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. All right. So he's talking about a lack of recognition of what's going on here. This insensitivity. It's why many of you are weak and chronically ill and some even dying. So when I was growing up, I was in a church system where we, it was required if you were going to receive communion that you had to go the day before and confess your sins to a priest. All right, I was a little kid. And a lot of times I couldn't think of a sin. I'm sure there were some. But you know, sometimes I could. I lied to my sister, you know, or whatever. But sometimes I'd make stuff up because you're supposed to confess your sin. You know, I mean, you have to do this. They're not going to let you take communion the next day. So try and think of something. Well, what did I do? I'm sure I did something, you know? But I mean, there was no real, this wasn't dealing with God and him dealing with my heart. And so you'd go in there you'd say something and they'd give you prayer as a punishment for whatever you did, which as you can imagine as a kid, really enamored me with prayer, you know? I mean, so, but anyway, that it was focused on guilt, and it, was, and it was from these verses that it was focused on, on guilt. Oh, you got exempt. You find something wrong and then we're going to punish you. Then you can come to the table. That's not what this is saying. This is saying, come focused on him and the provision he has made. In his body, we have physical healing and we have restoration. Broken things are put back together because he took those stripes on our back. And in his blood, we have complete forgiveness and also empowerment to overcome sin. We should never ever again, as we remember what he did, be able to say, I'm just an old sinner and thank goodness I'm barely saved by grace. You were a sinner, now you're saved by grace and you're the righteousness of God in Christ because of what we're remembering right here. All right, so let's pray this through. Father, we just thank you this morning for this table, for your invitation to have this fellowship, this communion, this interaction, deep, intimate interaction with you. And Lord, today, we take this seriously. We recognize the incredible, there's gotta be a better word than value, to, to who you are and what you have done, Lord, the, the giving of your body, there is healing for us. If any of us are sick, if any of us are fighting sickness, other things that are broken in relationships or broken in our lives, Lord, there is healing because you became our substitute at that cross. We remember that, we retell the story this morning and we receive, Father, the body of Christ in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we do invite you if there are things that we need to repent of and to change, we invite you, Lord, to bring that into our lives. But we invite that because we know how much you love us. We know that you're on our side. We know that the blood of Jesus, the actual, Scripture says, the wrath of God that belongs to us has already been poured out on Jesus. And we come to this table thankful for that. We come to this table thank thankful for the power in the blood of Jesus but we come to this table ready to, to change, to be transformed. As we already heard this morning, Lord, bit by bit, to experience that metamorphosis, to, to be more like you every day. And we recognize that it is because the blood that was shed from, for us, because of the blood that was shed for us, Lord, that we have this kind of union and communion with you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink the cup. you lord thank you lord father i thank you for everything you've done in this service today beginning to end thank you just for the our ability father for more of us to gather in your presence more of us to see one another's faces and look into one another's eyes and and father just to have that corporate experience of worshiping you that's always unique and father we, we thank you for the things you've spoken into our lives by your word and we choose to treasure those up And we thank you that as we go out into this community, we go out as lights into dark places. We go out as encouragement. Lord, we go out to undo the works of the devil. Lord, we go out as the church of Jesus Christ into this community, Lord, to bring your life into all those places that we go. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we will say it on the count of three that Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. Again, we're going to open these side doors. You guys can head out. If you would, please take your communion cup, throw it in the trash on the way out. That'd be awesome. Uh, All right, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen.